this is Ryan Harvey in London, and you're listening to episode four of Hope Dies Last, Clapton, London's anti-fascist community football club. Somehow it's a parallel universe for me, the stadium. The first time I went there, I knew by half time it was my new home. We are anti-fascist, we are supportive of gay rights. Captain Community FC have caught the attention of Spanish fans with their new away kit, which pays homage to the anti-fascist movement in the nation's civil war. People were just fed up of the sexism and the homophobia and the racism. Some of our, our teammates approached us with this idea. So we decided to start our own club. Everybody has a vote. Every decision is taken horizontally. I'd lost football. I found it again at Clapton. We're trying to do football differently. Anyone who knows me knows that I love soccer, both playing it and also observing it and thinking about the strategy of it. I see a lot of political overlaps in the sport with the buildup of play, kind of reflecting the need to organize to achieve goals, the counterattack and you know possession-based play being very reflective of different strategies of political mobilization and the sudden sort of insurrectionary spirit that can be built when luck falls in your favor or something works out. All of that can change very quickly, but typically the side that's more organized, the side that's better funded, the side that's better trained is going to be the dominant team. This is my first soccer episode. Ironically, it was actually the first episode I recorded for the podcast. I just had intended to release it a little later, and now is the time. We recorded this at a pub in London, so I apologize for some of the background noise. But it's kind of the proper setting to talk with three radical football fans and players who own their own team, which they started kind of out of a protest. For a lot of Americans, it's kind of hard to think about how a sport could be so deeply involved in the politics of a community and could lead to such things as boycotts and starting your own democratic, collectively owned and managed team. But a lot of folks have been doing that in the world of international football, what we call soccer. Fans have been increasingly frustrated and angry with the takeover of the sport by large capitalist interests, billionaires, corporations. And there's been a pushback. And that pushback has taken the form of protests and boycotts, but also increasingly it's taken the form of fans getting together, putting their money together, and starting their own club. One of the smallest of such ventures in England, but perhaps one of the most exciting, is in northeast London. They're called Clapton Community Football Club. I first attended a Clapton match a number of years ago, just on chance, and the atmosphere of that match was really incredible. Hundreds of punks and activists and organizers and just people who are football fans and aren't assholes together you know, singing and having all these really funny, pointed political chants that they would sing. And it's that atmosphere that caused this group of fans to boycott Clapton FC a few years back and then form Clapton CFC, the community football club. Clapton recently hosted the Abu Dis Sports Club, a group of girls from Palestine aged 13 to 15. And the men's side recently played against Britain's top-ranking LGBTQ football club, Stonewall FC. I sat down with Sophia, who plays for the women's side, and also with Matthew and Tommaso, who are supporters and now part owners of the club. We sat down on the back patio at the Gunmakers Pub in Clerkenwell, London. So we will now travel back in time to the summer 
to a pub in London. Here's the episode. Welcome to the show. And let's jump right into FC to CFC. What's a community football club? And tell me about Clapton CFC. Okay, so Clapton CFC, as you said, started last season, at the beginning of last season. It was April last season. I think what that C really means uh, is just a club for the community, by the community in a way. Creating a community inside the football club, which is, as you said, structured as a democrat- in a democratic system, as a cooperative. Everybody has a vote, there is no chairman, there is no board. Every decision is taken horizontally. Clapton Football Club was a members-run club. Its constitution was as a member-run club, which is itself really quite unusual, even in uh, English English football. It was the fact that that had gone to what you know, gone been kicked into the dust by the new ownership and for nothing. That that was when we started to turn from supporters to, I suppose. We were asking questions about the way that club was. So, you know, we, we asserted when we set this club up that we embodied the, the historic club as well. It, it, you, you can't look at Clapton CFC without knowing what Clapton FC is and was before. But amongst the people that set the club up were people that were life members long, long before the people who, who run Clapton FC that we used to go and watch. Uh, before they arrived there. And Sophia, you're the keeper for the women's side. Um, well, I'm right back or utility player, basically wherever I'm needed. What is what is playing for that kind of club like? What is it? What is it like for you? And then what is it like for you all as supporters? This is something that's only started, I think, end of end of this last season, basically, where we. Some of our, our teammates um, approached us with this idea to to leave our former club, which was called AFC Stoke Newington, um, to essentially merge with Clapton CFC. And there were some um, some reservations at first, I think, because we didn't really understand what it would mean or if we would just be swallowed up by a men's team. But the more we spoke to people representing Clapton CFC at the time, we realized that our values were very much similar to the values that we had as AFC Stoke Newington. Since then, we've been shown, well, essentially how welcome we are. And it's just been a really fantastic experience. And the support for, from both from all the various committees and the club and, and outside of that as well has been phenomenal. When I went to a Clapton FC match a couple years ago, I thought it was hilarious in a way because the other team had like nine people, you know, watching and it was like people's family, immediate relatives and stuff like that. And then on your side, there were hundreds of people. There were folks from different countries who had like come there. They probably didn't travel all the way just for the match, but they, that was part of it. And there's banners and there's songs constantly and just all this energy. Describe, describe the atmosphere at a match. Probably a big factor is comparing this country, this football in this country with the football in the other countries. Um, so the atmosphere is completely different. Regulations in this country are horribly strict. Um, I've been to only one game, two games in big stadiums for the big teams and it was just stupid to be there I didn't really see the point 
You don't like football anyway, though. No, that's true. Like, football is just one percent of my interest in the club. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just, just the idea that like you cannot stand or you cannot. I'm, I'm coming from Italy, and that, that's the way I was seeing football. And people could come together. I was coming from a club where everybody was welcome. Where, in the '90s, there was a massive problem of um, heroin in the in the city where I'm from. And the ultras were the ones who were probably the only ones um, welcoming those people who were addicted. And they started a, um, a charity to support them. So I think that in a place which is somehow is a parallel universe for me, the stadium is where you can really express yourself and where everybody's welcome because sometimes all it matters is the colors of your team. But then if you add some extra messages on top, it gets really interesting. I can bring a lot to a lot of people and you can reach any person from any social background what happens in here is that people were just fed up with that football the british football english football and they started going to see their local club they lived all in the area some other people were just fed up of the sexism the homophobia and the racism in football and they found out that they were all from the same political background in a way the group which started was back then the clapton ultras it was 2012 this is only a small, small part of the long history of Clapton, which dates back to 1877. And also the good thing is that as a, a lot of people were coming from different countries and they would see that there was a club supporting football as they like to support football. They were welcome from any part of the world. And well, as long as, you know, they weren't racist, they weren't diggers, basically, but that was the basic. And this was... a an oasis for many people and that's why so strong bonds and strong friendships also were born through the club because it was really important for people to feel part of a community and again that's the, that's the key word it seems but that, that was the thing more or less the first time i went there i knew by half time it was my new home i recognized people that i was stood with and this is when the crowd was only about 100 people but i recognized people that i was stood with i'd been kettled by Kettled with them, not by them. <laughs> I've been I'd been kettled with them, like on you know on anti-capitalist demos and stuff like that. There were people that I recognised through, like other sort of like local, more um, community organising sort of like shifts. There, there were people that I knew, didn't know their name, but I knew they were, and I trusted them, and it was amazing. It's completely unique. There is absolutely nowhere else in the UK where this could have happened. I used to be a season ticket holder at Newcastle and I was traveling up and down the country every other Saturday and it was miserable. Um, I'd lost football and I found it again at Clapton and I found it in a way that, you know, even now I still have to pinch myself because it was in that context of, with a load of people, exactly as Tommaso says, that we're trying to do football differently. And I mean, it's grown and grown and it's, there have been some, you know, corners that have been rounded off. It isn't, it isn't like a squat anymore. It isn't like a like a, a, a an illegal rave anymore. A lot of this, a lot of the edges have been smoothed over, but it's still got that at its heart. This is something that was fascinated me about coming to a Clapton match was that it's an as an American especially, it's an alternative venue for people on the political left to interact in a different way. I mean, where I'm from, you interact with people from from the from your you know your comrades either at the bar or at a really boring, stressful meeting. And so this was like a little, you know, there's a pub element, obviously, and that's fine. Um, but it's, it's like this combination of joy and passion and also fun. It's a sport. It's, it's something that a lot of us, I mean, I grew up in the punk scene in the U.S., right? Sports was like 
skateboarding is acceptable and everything else, it's like, no way, now I'm 35 and I'm like, shit, I became obsessed with sports. It was my destiny, I know, but but this, you know, things like Clapton and other, you know, especially European clubs that I started to learn about gave me this understanding of sports can be a venue for like leftist politics too and, and it can be part of actually building community and... And it's valuable. I mean, those things that you're talking about as well. I mean, like what I used to say to people when they'd come down is that some people from those left scenes would come down, they'd love it, and they wouldn't otherwise be football fans. But what they'd love about it is the fact that it is something joyous and it is important for political activists to have places where they can go and enjoy themselves. Because, you know, we don't fucking win much. We don't win much, right? So it's good to, it's important to have places that sustain us. And that that's, I mean, you know, not to sort of like overdo this sort of like loving bullshit, but that's what I really love about the US punk scene is the political route to the US punk scene that I'm familiar with from my partner being, being American and her friends is that it, they tie that together and it is about that moment of joy. The thing for me, because I'm a bit odd, I know I sound young, but you know, I was around like during the, 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 the tail end of the rave scene and that was what we had then. And this reminds me of that. This Clapton reminded me of the rave, the rave scene in like the early nineties. It was, it's a collective experience that you're building together, and it's something that I think a lot of people have really latched onto. It's, it's funny. There are people now that could probably sing along with a lot of the songs and they know the players. But when I stop and think about it, the first time they came down was basically because they knew other people from Lark or from other sort of like anti-fascist groups. That was their entry. You said that we don't we don't win a lot. I assume you were talking about the political left. Let's talk about Clapton. I know you won nine nil the other day, and so brutal. Feel free to go on it about. But I also fantastic. heard it was a friendly, so it was that must have been a little awkward. So we are currently playing. We were promoted last year, and we are currently playing in Greater London Women's League Division One which means that we are on step seven in the pyramid. So only six more steps to go before we play... Manchester City. Yeah, we play Manchester City or Arsenal. Last year, we were in the same league as the team that we met on on Sunday called Tower Hamlets. And it was a thrilling game, which ended 6-5 in our favour. But we've been really working hard to build our team, to build our squad this this season. And although we didn't have a lot of players available for Sunday's game, we did win nine nil, and it was it was glorious, <laughs> brutal but glorious. It, it was it was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun, and that was only our second outing as Clapton CFC. It's just it's we are still so surprised at the reception that we get that we on Sunday had. 109 people coming to watch us play and they were not just immediate relatives there were people that didn't know us that don't know us and the fact that some of our players already have their own chance we used to have three people coming to our games it was someone that wasn't playing that week and maybe someone's parents that was it the person with the knee injury and then someone's family. exactly <laughs> and now just on a friendly before the season has even started, before the FA Cup, which we're entering on Sunday, we had 109 people coming to watch us play a friendly game on a Sunday. It's it's just been mind it's mind boggling. Are any players on your team or on the men's side paid players? Is it all is it all volunteer right now? It's all no no no. It's all amateur. There's no paid staff at the club. We pay contractors for things, but there's no paid staff. It's entirely amateur. Can I, you just mentioned, I mean, like your step seven. Yes. Um, 
I mean, that's that. You're a lot higher in in the women's football pyramid than the men's team. Like, I mean, that's the thing is that we we're very lucky to. Have, you're at step ten. Yeah, uh, eleven. Eleven. I get really confused. Well, step not step uh, step um, step and levels are different. Ah. <laughs> there are certain step, but we're level from the top, we're eleven. Yeah, okay. right. Which okay. means seventh step. If I we think. climb, if we yeah. climb, if we were to climb the same, if, sorry, we. I'm saying it's like it's different. If the men's team was to climb as many levels every season as the um, as the women's team, the women's team would get to the Premier League. The men's team would just be getting into the Football League. Right. That's how high up the women's team are. So, you all started your own club, and. In, immediately started a women's side or did that was that the second season we started the club just to get a team out so that we could start because we were boycotting the season before I and mean, it's one of the main motivating aspects of this is that we we had a season as supporters that weren't going to watch our team and it was it was it was a pain in the ass and why was it because we were boycotting Clapton FC because yeah. the guy well, that we were boycotting that's like I think we have to do some steps back okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's not that clear. We, so we were boycotting as a fans group we were boycotting home games um, because the guy um, who's in charge of that club as I mentioned earlier on who's, the guy who's in charge of Clapton Football Club basically didn't trust him plus he had started to become quite aggressive with us not physically not actually physically threatening although there are some people that have some stories but generally just you know making it impossible for us to support the team so we boycotted home games rock solid all season and they were down to crowds and nothing but it was kind of joyless it's hard work so we formed the club partly out of that um well, you know so we've got a team to watch one thing though for the boycott which i think is it was good for me um that's that's a personal experience is that we still had a lot of support from a lot of those people you're talking about. Even people who weren't really uh, directly involved with the club or they were just coming with the supporters and they were coming just to watch the games. When we were going to away games, we still could have 300 people coming. And that was, uh, that was the only thing which really kept me going in this long boycott. And that was a sign that we were doing things right. So we were dictating, well, we were deciding when people were going to the games or not. Not because we were forcing people not to go, but just because people followed us, people trusted us. And that was a really good sign for me because we, we built a, 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 a like, uh, we, we were respected and uh, we built that image and it was really important. So we understood probably also by that, that there were people behind us who were really supporting us and they were understanding what was going on. And that was an important point probably. Yeah. And then, yeah, like the other thing is that it wasn't only being aggressive, but it was also... Um, he's the same person who's, in ch- who's, who's controlling the ground and he put the, the charity controlling the ground in liquidation. So practically any pound in his pockets would have been used in lawyers to fight his bo- bogey? Bogus. Bogus. Is that word? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say boogies. I think it's a different. But still, it's a boogie. It's a boogie legal case. Snot encrusted legal case. Yeah. So basically, I, know that, and, and, I learn and, more British slang every yeah. every day. You know. So the, the the thing is that we just wanted to. We didn't want him to win because he, he couldn't take over the history of that club. Couldn't take over the community. He didn't have youth teams. He, he destroyed that club, and we couldn't give him any money anymore. In a way, even just going to the games before was a massive 
compromise on our side. But we knew that be, without going there, we couldn't have built what we were building. So then we did the boycott, and then the boycott was getting really tiring, and we saw an, a, a chance to say, okay, we, we've got experience, we've got people who run the Clapton before. They were part of, some of the people who were members were officials of the Clapton before, and they were kicked out. They weren't just live members, people who actually were putting up the games every Saturday. So we just decided to start our own club. Club. Uh, we decided how to structure it. And as you were saying, it's a cooperative, it's horizontal. And even the people who helped us legally from Supporters Direct were quite surprised by the old way it was built. People just kept coming to the games then. And we built something, and I think that's it. Yeah, build, we built something. I think it's, that, sometimes we forget about it. It's about being, yeah, it's the fact that we built it. I mean, the original question was, did we decide to get a women's team? Like, we, we knew we, would, we wanted one. We, we want, you know, we want the youth set up as well. But, I mean, that was what Sophia was saying, is that it was actually an idea of, um, from your end, really, wasn't it? It was from someone at AFC Stoke Newington that approached Clapton CFC and was like, hey, we got an amazing women's team. I mean, you can tell that story. How much well, so I, I'm assuming you are referring to Ian, who set up the AFC Stoke Newington team. He's working as a teacher in Stoke Newington. Saw that a lot of girls and women don't really have an outlet for any kind of sports pursuit after a certain age when they leave school. So he set up the team, but um, left us behind. Well, he, he decided to focus on the youth side last season so we had a manager a player manager player coach we had very little support from outside of the players um and it worked really well for us but this is a step up and we we needed more support and and ian has some ties to um people in various committees and players at clapton cfc so i reached out by uh, and, and basically said look, this is an amazing team, maybe we can work something out. But of course, that was also a very democratic decision, both on from our side and from the already existing Clapton CFC side, where it had to, to be put to a vote by the members. Can I say in our defence that we didn't start the women's team for the first season because we didn't know how things worked, really. So we said, <laughs> maybe we go for one team now and then we see what happens I, next. I, I think I that's mean, a fair point. It was the goal, it was uh, the goal yeah. to I do think... that, but we, we really had to <laughs> learn a couple of things that we're still learning. Still, <laughs> yeah, you know. I think that's oh, a fair yeah. point. I think that's a fair point. But yeah, so, so that's only been one season with just the men's and now we have women and starting up youth as well. Yeah. And also there is another project which is quite cool, which is with... Um, uh, Tuesday trainings, open trainings for women and non-binary people, yeah. which are open to everybody, and mostly they want to give. A and that's just a community. Anyone wants to come can yeah. train. Exactly. And, yeah. and there is a group of people. I think, for what I understood, but maybe I'm wrong. But they've been focusing a lot also on people who used to play football. Yeah. They don't have the chance any. They didn't have the chance anymore because the the the, the whole atmosphere was stupid. Most of them. Yeah. That was the main problem. And now they want to play football again because yeah. there is a big push. And that's that's pretty interesting, I think. This is an interesting thing for me, if I can just ask, actually, because no, I, haven't, I haven't had the chance really to talk to Sophia before. But I remember yeah. when, we, when I had that first conversation with, um, it was Alice, Emily and Phoebe. 
Um, Emily was amazing. They were all amazing, but Emily said something in particular that stayed with me since, is that like she said that football has been one of the biggest, has been a, a driving passion, but also one of the biggest sources of frustration because as a woman, like she's constantly been told, no, you can't. And I mean, is that something you've experienced as well? Or is it less so because you're Swedish, did you say? I think there's a difference in how football is set up in in Sweden and, and in the UK and there's something that I've been talking to my to my teammates about as well that it, it that football was always there I mean to be fair the team that I first started playing at age five was set up by my dad so maybe I just got really incredibly lucky but um the fact that um a lot of uh, girls and women here at school they get to play hockey or whatever other stupid sport where you have to wear a skirt and and that football isn't available for women, that was never the case. You always had both boys and girls, women and men teams everywhere. Um, but there is definitely something that I've heard from the teammates that I have that have grown up in the UK where it just hasn't been readily available and that people have to go so out of their way to find a team to play in because it's never available at school or in their local community. So here we are after the both World Cups. The Women's World Cup has just happened. Britain performed decently in the Women's World Cup. England. England. Oh, yeah. that's true. You have to make that true. Yeah, 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 true, true. Um, <laughs> Sweden did better. And the U.S. did the best. Um, but, <laughs> um, How did Italy come to Massa? Yeah, well, uh, oh, no, surprisingly good. <laughs> I don't know if it was the only time they played the World Cup, the women's team, yeah, and they... And they and they did way better than the Italian yeah, um, men's well. team because the Italian men's team didn't even qualify because of Sweden as well. I'm, I'm not really like just saying. I, have to I be, just like, want to put that. I, I, team, I have to be honest. Like, men's or women's team, if it's a national team, I just like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 certainly not going to start swinging an England flag around my head. So don't worry about it. I'll just sit back and watch the sparks fly. <laughs> We can all just agree that Megan Rapinoe is cool and leave it at that, right? You're listening to episode four of Hope Dies Last. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, let folks know about it. And if you can, please sign up to make a monthly donation to support the show. You can go to patreon.com slash Ryan Harvey Music. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Ryan Harvey Music. In the U.S., lots of folks have been talking about the women's team, and it's, you know, the, the prediction is that the women's team, the U.S. women's team is really helping, you know, like, like pave a new path for women's soccer on the level of both their performance, which was stellar, but also their activism and their outspokenness about their wages, about the way the sport's appreciated, about just the, the scheduling of matches and, and all of that. And that queerness. Yeah. It's a really big deal, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like a similar shift is happening? Do you, or is, is Clapton CFC going to be the team that paves the way? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. I just think um, it definitely has had an, an impact in an interest from outside of the football community um, because the players and previous players and, and fans that, or supporters that have already been there, they've, they've still been there throughout the whole thing. But definitely there's been an interest from outside the community that was there before. And I think especially when it comes to younger younger people, both, both female and male or 
you know, however they want to define themselves, um, definitely been a growth in interest and also growth in, in people searching for for teams, for, for, for an outlet for um, their newfound passion in football. I, I wonder whether... We, the corollary for me here in this country is going to be very different to America. Like the team did really amazingly, and there were you know some characters from the English team emerged, and people sort of like like made a connection there. But it is it is England, and like what we saw with the Olympics is that the professional level of the sports improved. But I'm skeptical, and it's you know Clapton is in Newham, which is one of the Olympic boroughs, and the amount of damage done to East London for the Olympics in exchange for very negligible uh, improvements to both the promised uh, improvements to people's lives in the area, which we always knew was nonsense, but also the improvement in the uptake of sport hasn't happened, right? You got now Brit British teams perform better at the Olympics and lots of sports. I mean, no, England never used to win anything at anything when I was growing up. And now there've been British sports people that are winning just about every sport. The cricket team wins. We've got people winning, you know, Andy Murray, I know he's Scottish, but he's, he's winning, um, you know, he's winning the, was winning, you know, Wimbledon and tennis gold. And, and the women's football team is, is doing well, the professional levels, but I, I think that collapsing CFC's women is going to be is going to change things, can change things because it's going to be something that's going to be built on a completely different model. The team, a lot of the teams that you're going to be playing are development teams from football league from clubs. Bigger, yeah, from bigger clubs. You're going to be doing it with a totally different approach, yeah. whether you, whether you like it or not, and. And I'm pretty sure you're going to like it because we're going to have oh, fans yeah. and it's going Absolutely. to be a good vibe. And it's going to be they're going to be They're going to be on a ladder. They're going to be having, not pressures, but there's, it's a different way of doing it. Absolutely. And I think, I think they'll notice that more. That's why I think that I've got really, I'm really excited about the fact that we've been not just approached by a women's team at all or that we've got one, but actually a really successful one. And they, they know what they're doing and they don't win 9-0 for no reason, right? They're amazing. Like, they're... Also, I think they will change some things. Also, what, the, what, what you said about the, the way you were organizing yourself, it, that's really interesting because when, I think even in a, in a development club, you still have the club. There is somebody else who's looking after the club, but you, you have that ownership of what you've been doing Absolutely. so far. And I think it really fits mm. with the way we did things so far because yeah. we haven't played on the pitch, but sometimes just having 11 people playing on the pitch and uh, now it's going to be 22 every weekend. <laughs> but it, it was something that we felt we were part of it, yeah. in a way, in a small part. It's not just the singing, it's one step forward. And I like the idea that you were saying you were self-organized. And and I think that's something that we definitely want to kind of continue doing as well. And I can I can see that it has happened. Although we now have a coach that is and a manager who's not part of the playing squad, which is fantastic because finally the, the the player manager and the player coach can actually just concentrate on playing fantastic football, um, which they are. They are some fantastic footballers. But also so many out of the team and especially the team that was already there last season have decided to join committees and take part in, in not just the playing of football, but, but being part of the community on a, on a, and the committees on a bigger scale. Um, 
so that we would never like lose touch and, and just be players. We just want to be part of the whole building of the club and building of, of, of women's football. My lips wobbling, mate. Yeah. <laughs> that's so beautiful. I don't know. And, and that's, you know, to, I guess I threw in a trick question there because, right, the, the, the ultimate goal of this project and of these teams isn't to make it to the top level or whatever. It's, it, it, or, you know, or maybe it is. <laughs> But if you do it, you want to do it with the the same community, you know, because for obviously for an American audience, folks probably won't understand the significance of going to a, a, a football match and, and standing up rather than sitting down and, and having this atmosphere that's not hyper policed and and whatnot um, being such a big part of it. And, and, you know, the not just with you all, but with with. You know, I don't know if this is a trend or if it's just I'm just learning about it. But, you know, clubs like United FC of Manchester and I know there's tension right now at Newcastle. Um, but, you know, there's been activism around boycotting major clubs and pushing back on owners, but also of starting fan run clubs because people care more about that atmosphere than they do about the insane hyper quality of, you know, the precision passing and all of this. I think that probably um, this club is part of two stories and it goes all in one which is quite interesting compared to others so in some cases you have the story of like being your own club um, like being a member setting up the club that kind of more like uh, structured way of football with a good way of doing it by the way not like the structure football of the modern football you were talking about but at the same time there is also that background of supporting your team in the way you want to do it. So there is also something else I've seen as a trend recent in the past years. There were a lot of other clubs in Britain uh, who were local clubs and people started supporting the local clubs and they started having... Uh, they were luckier than us because they had many uh, owners or boards who were a chairman who would understand what they were doing. So those people just... By being supporters, they were allowed to have maybe meetings with the board, trying to say, oh, we would like to do this, we would like to do that. And what I always wanted to, like, I, I personally, I, I love Clapton. I want us to succeed in anything we do. But I don't want us to be the only ones. And I think this is a really important thing. I would like, to, I would like people to understand that it's possible. You know, it's not, you, don't, you don't only need the, 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 the silly 13,000 sale. Silly in a way, like, it's crazy, I mean. That's like um, the, the, the you know. punk scene vibe, right? Like, the, you want to see your local punk band, you know, the one that everyone loves, get, get you know, more popular and play for other there, audiences. There but every a, punk scene is an important yeah. Yeah. fabric. Yeah. There was you a documentary about, like, uh, punk hardcore in America, and there was a map, and it's like all the bands are popping up in the map. Uh, like it's in a chronological order and it's pretty cool I, I like that it's like you've got all the bands and that's what I would like to have um, because when Italia, you go play when you play a show in another city you want to experience their punk yeah, scene exactly. their, you know, their fan culture and, and so you right. do want to build thing, it all, to, to be fair this is happening a lot in Italy there is at least maybe we can count maybe 40 different fan-owned left-wing uh, football clubs and sports clubs this is now a massive trend in Italy, and it's really difficult there. It's really difficult because, for example, uh, league fees are really expensive, and, but there are some people who are doing it in an amazing way. And sometimes I look at what they do on uh, Facebook, on social media, and, and I think 
there is a lot of um, uh, inspiration we can get from there. Um, but if it's happening in Italy, it can happen anywhere. I mean, okay. Well, if it happens there, it can happen anywhere. Mm. Because Italy is a country as, as many other countries. And probably people are, are going to be fed up with the stupid football that is up there. They just want to have a different way of seeing football. And also, they, I think what we succeeded with is like even saying that you can support football in a different way than just sitting, but it doesn't mean you are a bold, uh, middle-aged uh, man hey. who gets drunk and wants to have a fight. So oh, it's right. as like, you that's, know what I mean? Yeah, Does it make right. sense? That's I was, I was getting a bit personally attacked then. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not bold, so oh, it's okay. That's very generous of you. It's also that it, it, it feels, you know, we're in this, we're in an extremely political moment in the world right now, and especially in the Western world, we all have our, well, not quite all of us, but... A lot of us have our Boris Johnson, our Donald yeah. Trump, yeah. you know. Salvini. Salvini, yeah, Salvini. absolutely. Wilder. Yeah, Gerd Wilders, all these people um, representing the nationalist, whatever, quote, populist far right. Um, but there's also, you know, a, a renewed interest in the, in the political left as well. Even in the United States, the word socialism is, you know, five, six years ago, that was just... You wouldn't say you were a socialist publicly unless you were like one of my friends in the anarchist communist socialist world and you wanted to like, you know, really distinguish yourself. But now it's the the the, the leading, you know, uh, confessed ideology of, of millennials in whatever polls. But uh, be, because of that, we're seeing even in the United States, people like, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and and no one expected that you know you know who the second professional athlete was to take a knee uh no rapping oh really yeah oh. Wow. so oh, yeah. yeah um but we we're now experiencing this political tension in sports that i don't think we'd experienced at least not in my lifetime when the nfl pushed kaepernick out and suddenly people started getting angry at the nfl um and this is, you know, this has been happening. It's, it's, it's a natural progression of, of corporate capitalist, you know, just consumption of culture. Um, and you all represent, you know, in, in your corner of London, this part of a pushback against that. And I think it's really, it's really um, interesting. I mean, I'm glad it was you saying it and not us. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether I would ever say that because I think it's, it's, it's nice to someone else sort of observe, making that observation. I think, though, the one thing I'll say about us, you know, we've had, we've been involved in, 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 in lots of disagreements, like internally and with other people on the so-called left in London and around the UK. There are plenty of people that don't agree with the way people have done things at Clapton. But the one thing that I will stand by, and it's something that Tommaso already said, is that what we're doing is based on that punk spirit that you were talking about. And it's building something. Because actually, I don't know, I'm, as the only, I'm going to abuse my privilege as the only, like, uh, straightforward English person here and totally shit on the left in this country sat as we are right around the corner from the Karl Marx library but like the left in this country has been led by people that look like me or my dad for so fucking long and they haven't really got that much to fucking show for it and like the reason why younger people are sort of like reaching for ideas and wanting to do new stuff now is because they're being provided by people that have achieved things and there's a lot of it it's from the US left and it's from like a more global um uh, a, a global uh, sort of like context and it's led by women it's led by people of colour and it's led by uh, you know like like queer people and 
trans people and all these the people who have struggled and had to sort of like put things forward but what they've always achieved is building community these things matter and it isn't just sort of like sidelining i think that's what's really valuable about it so even people that can come now because like i said like not everyone that's coming is like card carrying anarchist i don't want to make any assumptions about sophia like what sophia's politics are but it does in a way what you build in first and foremost is like you're, you're showing and you're not telling and we're, mm -hmm. we're doing this now, I think. It's interesting mm. for me. Like, I, I mean, you know, I, I've ended up... I, sh I shouldn't be living in London anymore. I should have left. It's just too much. But now this is a big thing for me because actually being involved in something that we've built together, you, you don't need to be ideological to be part of it. It's just about wanting to have something that's important and for the right reasons. I know it's a bit wishy-washy the way you're ending it, but that's what it's a bit... I don't know whether then it is about this push... I don't know whether it does represent a pushback I think it rep does represent because what we are starting to see here as well is like social centres popping up where there isn't there is not since the squat scene ended there isn't really a tradition of that but we're actually starting to see more social centres popping up and it's really fucking hard to get property in the in the UK man that's why it makes it hard but still people are managing it we've got a DIY space for London in South London there's um, uh, partisan in Manchester there's, there's space in Liverpool Glasgow Newcastle's got like um, you know the, the great cinema I forget its name right now but like, there's places all over the country that are starting to do this and it's about building and it's really important and not just relying on you know Jeremy Corbyn or whatever just to win elections it's about going a little bit further taking responsibility and that I will stand by that is what I think we have done also what you're saying about the difference is that there is so many other people who joined the club who are different uh, when you were saying about Sofia I don't know what you think about it but I think we do the things in the same way it doesn't mean like we're aligned with the same party right. membership but we, we do things in the same way. And even if somebody is doing it in a different way, there is always a discussion. And I made a lot of steps back to not assume that everybody was like me now in the club. Because when you open a membership, you cannot just vet people. This is just wrong. So you welcome everybody. Then you start a discussion. Sometimes they might be wrong. Sometimes they might be right. But we do have some hilarious conversations on our uh, internal Telegram groups. <clears throat> yeah, but also in real life stuff, like it's, it could be from merchandising, for example. <laughs> that, that isn't what I was talking about, but... <laughs> no, but, no, but that's, that could be one of the things. How people see the merchandising for the club, it's sometimes a discussion you can have, or... <clears throat> Sponsorship. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I, I spoke... I want to say this, for example, it's really funny. Uh, I was in the pub after the... Um, friendly on Sunday and the goalkeeper of the men's team came to watch the game and then <clears throat> well, these guys were saying like oh you should open the shirt sale again we came to the games before we want to become members we want to help and one guy started one of them started, <laughs> Matt is going to, <laughs> to be really like uh, the cringy face now this guy was saying I'm from the left wing I've got the luck of earning enough I think you should design new t-shirts to make more money and I would definitely buy it because I've got the money. So you should sell more t-shirts. And even the goalkeeper was like, this is not how it works. It's just like we're doing it because we want to give everybody a chance to buy the t-shirts. We don't want to charge them more and we're not doing it because of people like you. Like we're doing it because of people like the others who cannot afford that's why we didn't change the kit for this season for example you know because we didn't want to have that approach of like uh, you know getting money out of people because we can and that was interesting because he was a football player with a fan a member but the things were working in a way and then at the end we tried 
to explain how it was working. Maybe we got to a point where we kind of agreed. But again, you can attract, as a club, you attract a lot of different people. And that, 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 that's the beauty of it. And that's, I think it's, that's really beneficial. Otherwise, we're always talking to each other. When you're saying only my friends would use that word, I think at a certain point, I, got to re I realized that. I was like, well, what's the point of talking about these subjects? Because I know that the others around me think the right. same way. So right. like, <laughs> we're, we're all agreeing. So we don't even have to talk about it. Yeah, and building, you know, the, the, the beauty of having sports as a political venue, especially as a grassroots political venue, is that instead of just talking about politics and talking about it at meetings and all of this stuff, you're, you're, you're creating a, like, a four, you know, it, there's seven days in a week, you know, and at least one or two days a week now, a whole group of people have another option of somewhere to engage in an alternative type of community, practicing good values, having joy and fun, experiencing some heartbreak, and, and really getting into something and building, building community with people in a real way. And that's something that, you know, you look at, uh, like, the American left in the 30s had all of this stuff, all this infrastructure got wiped out by McCarthyism. And since then, we've, we've really struggled with it. And I know when I was you know, getting really politicized in the punk scene, there was always a criticism of the punk scene for being too subculture, too alternative. And I always agreed with that. And at the same time was like, but we're building a different culture. We're, we're building a place that we can access to experience at least a little bit of what, of how we want to live and the way we want to do things. Um, so, you know, I think that is a healthy tension, I, you know, but let's talk while we're on uh, kind of that subject. I wanted to talk more about the, you know, combating homophobia, sexism, racism in sports, obviously lots of history across Europe of, you know, racist fan culture, obviously sexism and homophobia deep in sports culture globally. Um, how, how do you, I mean, do you structure the, the teams in a certain way? Are players attracted to the team because of the politics? How do you deal with those dynamics inside of the, you know, like in the stands among the supporters? Um, I think, first of all, that the men's team in general need to learn a little bit more from the women's team because it's not as apparent there. Um, it, when it comes to sexism and 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 um, homophobia, especially um, in the national team in Sweden, just as an example, uh, since I've been born, there's always been very out and proud people, and it's just been kind of a natural part of it. Um, so I think may, I don't know what the difference is there. Maybe it's because. For some reason, people being lesbians is uh, cooler or whatever than men being gay. I don't know what what the problem is there, but but there's not the same problem in women's football as there is in men's, where obviously there are very 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 few out players that's st that are still playing. They choose to come out after they've ended their careers or when they're very low in a very low league maybe they feel more comfortable because they're in a, in a different kind of setting the different community but it's not the same issue in women's as there is in men's so it's only an, it's a second-hand anecdote but i used to work with a woman that played for um west ham and tottenham and qpr and uh 
she told me that there was a like a fairly prominent player in the England team about four years ago who had kept her sexuality secret because she still felt that it would hinder her. And she's playing at a higher level. So I wonder whether there's an, another layer another layer of like English conservatism there that may be a problem like a little bit higher up. But I mean, I'll just say, I mean, it might be something that everyone talks about. But when I spoke to Alice that time, I said that, because they asked about like how, what is the makeup at Clapton? I was like, it's really male. It's more male now. It's more male and straight now than it was when Clapton, when I first started going to Clapton Ultras. But, you know, we want to change that. We desperately want to change it. And Alice said, just like quick as a flash, she's like, oh, good, because we're queer as fuck. Like, talking about the women's <laughs> Like, yeah. And that's, it's, so it's, how do you it'll, think you... it'll break shit down just by being there, I hope. I mean, just like overnight, you don't need to do it like bit by bit. It's just going to break that down a little bit. But this, I think that there's that flip side. Do you feel like there's a burden on you as like playing to, to that you are almost like uh, having to overcome sexism and for, for like um, for anyone in your team that isn't straight, having to overcome like uh, homophobia, biphobia, is that something that you feel like you have to do or what? I mean, you're just No, playing, I, th right? I think it's just a very natural part of, of just, it's never been discussed. It's just kind of who we are. No one's trying to hide anything and it never have. And I, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for my teammates previously, but um, like in my previous years as well, it's just been just there. It's never been never been a problem and I don't feel like anyone needs feel like they need to be some kind of spokesperson for all all gay or bi or, or queer people around they just are and it's been accepted maybe it's because of the community surrounding the women's team and the fans or supporters surrounding women's football has always been very supportive of it because it's always been there or I don't know why but I don't I haven't felt like someone's ever had to kind of I don't know how to, I don't feel like anyone's ever had to kind of like prove themselves even more just just because they are into women or, you know. Right. The, the thing I, I think, but this is the white men talking, so, uh, so like, let's filter it. Go ahead. <laughs> but I think sometimes just creating a kind of environment where people are can come and watch the game is already building something mm. i'm personally i'm a bit skeptical about the idea that maybe showing a banner and it's good enough and you can clear your conscience because yeah you've got the you know lgbt flag or you know you've got the the not uh, football against sexism banner is enough what's what i've been seeing in the, over the season, is that the the audience grew massively. At the last home game, we had 1,200 people, I think. Oh, and even and even yesterday, we had 400 people for the for the first uh, league game on a Tuesday night. But what I see is that there is a lot of women coming, for example. And I think that if people wouldn't feel good in that place. They wouldn't come to the games. No. I don't know how many of those people would enjoy, uh, of course, uh, white men talking. So, uh, but I, I wonder how many people would really enjoy going to watch other games of other teams, even probably the teams they actually support, if they would enjoy being in that kind of audience. 
and then maybe just saying that this is word of mouth in a way but yeah. you 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 build it by doing yeah. not by saying absolutely i think i think that uh, a welcoming a welcoming uh, atmosphere where someone's already gone out saying um uh, that this is who we are we are anti-fascist we are supportive of gay rights of you know that they are exactly what it is that you're looking for of course that can that can attract other people to come to that and feel safe in an environment before they've even been there and they don't feel like they have to kind of hide part of themselves until they find out whether it is a welcoming environment or not because it's like he was saying or just you were saying that it's like two days a week and two days on the week where you can just have some good time and yeah, relax yeah, absolutely. and it's, it's so important yeah. so important for men especially in a city like this shit place yeah. Where like you, you are constantly under pressure. Just even like getting on the tube to go to work, I have to wait for four trains before it's it's empty enough. Just like every every single moment of life in this city is like that. So it's just I think the, the, those three hours, four hours, what they are, they're precious. And there's something that keeps people going sometimes for the whole week for the next, until the next game. How can folks follow you online? And if they come to London or they live in London. How do they end up at a match? Uh, let's see how long. Let's see when they're coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to follow the Twitter. Um, Not that we're closing down, just saying about the, where we're playing games. That's what I meant. Don't jinx yes. it. Don't jinx it. <laughs> just follow the Twitter or the Instagram. They're the same, right? Clapton CFC. Yeah. yeah. And also Facebook. Yeah. It's the same. Is it? Yeah, Facebook. So since we recorded this, there's been some developments with Clapton CFC's grounds where they play. And to explain that to you, I gave Matthew a call over in London. So Matthew, tell us about the update with the grounds and also what why it's such a historic and important part of Clapton CFC's identity. We, we set up Clapton CFC as a way of reclaiming the history of Clapton Football Club, which has been trashed by the guy who took over there 20 years ago. That history goes hand in hand with the old spotted dog, which is London's oldest senior football ground. And that background's really historic, right? It's really old. To give some perspective, Clapton moved there in 1888. Wow. That's the kind of history we're talking about. Now, Clapton FC was being run into the ground um, before Clapton Ultras began uh, about seven years ago. And since the Ultras left and Clapton CFC formed, that downward trajectory has continued. No crowds... The, the place was being run like a, in, like an absolute mess. And in the summer when we spoke to you, we found out that his lease was torn up by the landlord and he was evicted effectively. So we were being really coy about this when we recorded the podcast. But a few weeks after that, we found out that our bid for the lease had won. Mm. Um, so there's still a lot of work to do, possibly some of the hardest work that we've had yet. But all things kind of plan, this all means that we could be moving back home next summer. It's amazing. Hope Dies Last is recorded by me, Ryan Harvey. Special thanks to my guests today, Matthew, Tommaso, and Sophia from the Clapton Community Football Club. Also wanted to thank my good friend Kareem Samara for lending me some microphones to use for the recording. Thank you to the Gunmakers Pub for letting us record this episode on your balcony. And thanks to all my Patreon donors who support the podcast. If you're enjoying what you've been hearing, if you're enjoying the other podcasts I've done, patreon.com slash Music. 
sign up to make a donation. It's a really huge help and it's really going to help me expand the show and make it better. Thanks for listening, y'all. And uh, you're going to have a new episode in two weeks. So stay tuned, subscribe, and uh, we'll talk later. Peace.